Hello, and welcome to episode number 18 of the Lab I-68 podcast. This podcast is for women of faith who want to get their restless behinds out of the pews and into the battlefield for the kingdom of God. We're here to equip and encourage you to put your faith into action in every area of your life and to claim the name of Kingdom Builder. My name is Leah, and I am joining you in the messy middle of a surrendered faith. This year has definitely been a doozy. With real division, the global pandemic, George Floyd protests, upcoming American election, mass forest fire devastation, the loss of some really treasured icons, increased awareness of human trafficking, and mystery murder hornets. It has been a lot to process. There seems to be more problems than solutions, and yet my guest today has a lot to share about one remedy that could disrupt this hovering dark cloud and its biblical joy. There is no problem without hope. And while the world may feel like it's just collapsing all around us, we can still experience joy through Jesus. My guest today is a Christian author and communicator who is passionate about infusing Jesus into her everyday life and empowering others to do the same. And in addition to writing and speaking, she also has a passion for the local church, having spent nearly a decade serving as the Director of Children and Family Ministries at a very large church in Western Canada, Talisi loves developing leaders and setting up ministries to win. She's been involved in training and equipping Christian leaders since 2010. She's a first-time author of the new book, Joy Like a Mountain, Unleash the Power of Biblical Joy on the Journey of Life. Please give a warm welcome to my guest, Talisi Guerra. Talisi and I discuss her journey to biblical joy as a discipline in her life, as a result of a long battle with anorexia, depression, and anxiety. And she gives us insight into loving someone who is struggling with their mental health, what churches can examine within themselves to make room for those who are struggling, and the hope that we can all have in Jesus during these really difficult times. Before we go into this conversation, though, this week, I'm going to ask you to do two things. If you're a regular listener to Lab by 68, I would love if you would write a review and make sure that you're subscribed to the podcast on your favorite podcast app. And this is going to help us to go further with the show to bring on guests that are going to continue to pour into you. This helps so much. Today, as I record, it's actually Wednesday, September 30th, which is International Podcast Day. And that is one of the best things that I'm hearing from all podcasters right now, that it just really helps to create awareness is when we review and we make sure that we're subscribed. So please do that. That would just mean the absolute world. And we just want to continue to pour into you. Secondly, I would love if you would join the Facebook group, Intentional Women of Faith. As we are starting to bring in more women who love Jesus and are in the journey towards a more intentional, integrated faith. I am also just wanting to take our relationship to the next level by taking episode ideas and guest suggestions. We are wanting to hear more and more from you. My whole goal behind this was that it would be a community of people, a community of women who want to serve Jesus with their whole surrendered selves and that we would be able to do it with one another because honestly, sometimes the road is kind of lonely and people don't really understand why we're making some of the choices that we're making and why we're prioritizing the way that we are. And so being in community is just so much better. We're just so much stronger together as the body of Christ. 
Okay, let's do this. Please welcome Talisi Guerra. Welcome to Lab I-68, Talisi. I'm so thankful that you're here and that we're going to be talking about biblical joy. I think this is a really important topic. Um, but before we hop into the interview, I would love for you to tell us just a little bit about your roles right now and where are you recording from? For sure. Uh, well, I am, first of all, a mom and a wife. Uh, we have one daughter. We've got another daughter on the way coming in November. Um, and I'm coming to you from Langley, B.C., uh, where my husband has just started a position as the lead pastor at Town and Field Church. And so one of my roles is is kind of just teammate, helpmate, strategist, ministry support person and, and sounding board, that kind of thing. And then when it comes to my own personal mission, I am an author and a speaker who is passionate about infusing my everyday life with Jesus and empowering others to do the same. Oh, I love that. I love that. And I love having more Canadians on. This makes me really, really happy. So <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> All right. So you have a brand new book that just came out. And I was wondering if you could just give us a little bit of the overall premise of Joy Like a Mountain. Absolutely. Joy Like a Mountain just came out on September 27th. Um, it's all about the pursuit and discovery of intentional biblical joy as we navigate the journey of life. Um, the idea kind of came to me from a song that we used to sing in Sunday school when I was a kid. If you grew up in the church, you might recognize the lyrics. It said that I've got peace like a river. I've got love like an ocean. I've got joy like a fountain in my soul. And those words kind of stuck with me throughout my life, joy like a fountain, but they really never rang true for me. They didn't resonate because fountains are kind of this picture of overflowing abundance. And that has never been my experience with joy. Um, mm. For me, joy has kind of been like hard. It's been this significant challenge and battle. And I've struggled with mental illness for most of my life. And for mm. me, joy was kind of, it really felt more like climbing a steep, unforgiving mountain than mm. this overflow, uh, this fountainous overflow in my life. So Joy Like a Mountain was born out of this combination of sort of the raw experience of my personal mental health battles, and then also my personal deep dive study into the topic of biblical joy. And the premise is that we're all climbing a mountain. We're all climbing the mountain of life. And we can either choose to see joy as the summit or sort of this impossible goal or destination, or we can recognize that joy is possible at every step of the journey if we equip ourselves in the right way. And so that's what the book is all about. Oh, I love that. All right. So I want you to take us back to the beginning. What were some of your kind of earliest memories of struggling with mental health, anxiety? And I know that there was um, some eating disorders in there as well. So can you just take us back to those moments? Sure. You know, it's interesting when I look back, because if we go way back to the very beginning, um, I can kind of see some little warning signs that began when I was very young, not so much like physical manifestations of an eating disorder, but definitely with anxiety definitely with perfectionism and almost the point of kind of obsessive compulsive tendencies. There were little things like certain prayers that I would say ritualistically every night thinking that if I didn't like all my family and friends were going to be in some kind of grave danger. And, oh, and this wow. was kind of like this obsession for me. Um, I was constantly looking for approval from my parents and other authority figures. I would, I would just be constantly asking for reassurance 
um, because I needed to have this sense that I was somehow good enough. Now, of course, as a child, you don't understand really what's going on. But as the years went on, those kind of little roots of anxiety, perfectionism, OCD, um, just sort of grew and grew until they ultimately became out of control in my life. And the next thing I knew in junior high, this outward obsession was my body. And then the compulsion was to shrink it into nothingness. Now, of course, that's not the whole story. Eating disorders are are rarely just about, you know, um, physical behaviors and results. And for me, it certainly wasn't. Um, as a teenager, I struggled with really low self-esteem, a lot of guilt, Mm. The anxiety that I felt as a child followed me into adolescence. And, and like I said, because I was this perfectionistic person, always trying to be good, always trying to do the right thing. When I became a teenager and kind of entered that explorative state of life where you're kind of trying to figure yourself out, started making some poor decisions that fell outside of those good and perfect lines. Yeah. I couldn't bear the weight of the guilt that that produced in my life. And feeling like I knew that the life I was living did not honor God, but then feeling like I wasn't good enough to live a life that could honor God. Um, mm-hmm. And so I I just started to hate looking at myself in the mirror because I felt like I, I was just such a phony. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like I was trying to appear as this good moral person on the outside, but on the inside, I honestly, I just felt like trash. And so mm-hmm. this quickly turned into this vicious cycle I felt worthless. So then I treated myself as though I was worthless, making me feel even more worthless. And um, it just, you know, it just kept going and cycling out of control, more and more bad decisions. And this was really the environment that bred my, my eating disorder, which for me was binge purge type anorexia. So that means that I was diagnosed anorexic because of my extreme weight loss, restrictive tendencies. But I also engaged in binge purge type behaviors, vomiting and and obsessive exercising, lax abuse Mm -hmm. and those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. I've encountered a little bit of or I've been close to somebody who has experienced an eating disorder. And and some of the talk around it and something I didn't understand when I was younger was that it is it does have to do with mental health. And um, from the outside perspective at that time, I was also very young it felt like a choice. Like, why are you doing this to yourself? But really, you know, so much of it has to do with mental health. Can you possibly expand on that a little bit? And why does it have to do so much with someone's mental health? It's like an actual illness that I feel like a lot of people just don't know how to engage or they don't understand or. Yeah. Um, I think personally in my, in my experience, I can really only speak from my experience. I'm not a mental health professional. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm someone who's struggled and who's, who's suffered and who has ultimately overcome in a lot of ways. But, um, in, in my experience, an eating disorder is like, I was saying a lot more about what's going on beneath the surface than the actual surface things. It manifests in a very physical way. And so we see the results. And if you're on the outside looking in at someone who's struggling with an eating disorder, you're seeing the physical manifestation of it, but you're not seeing what's happening beneath the surface. Kind of like that iceberg picture that you see where the the tip of the iceberg is on top above water. We can see that. But then beneath that, there's so much more going on. And for me, that so much more going on was like trying to reconcile all these feelings of Um, I'm making these decisions that uh, are not what I believe. You know, I grew up with a Christian worldview. I grew up, you know, believing 
in certain morals. And now I'm making decisions that don't line up with that. And I'm, I'm struggling to reconcile mm-hmm. that. And as a teenager, I don't have the tools in place to navigate those negative feelings that are coming up as a result of this. And so it really just like (laughs) the pressure starts to build up and it has to come out somewhere. And if you don't know how to handle that in a positive way, um, or you're not talking about that, then, you know, those often come out in really unhealthy behaviors or decisions. And so in my case, that was an eating disorder. And later on, ultimately developed even further into severe depression, anxiety, and other addictions. Um, Yeah. So I think that's why it's easy to kind of miss that because we don't see it. We don't see what's happening underneath what's actually causing those behaviors. Totally. Totally. That makes complete sense. So how have you kind of overcome some of these struggles or how are you still trying to overcome them or how do you still continue to battle them? Yeah, thankfully I've been completely eating disorder free for well over a decade now. Back in 2007, um, I kind of finally came to a point of being ready to change. I think like you said, an eating disorder is absolutely a mental illness. Um, But I think in my case with mental illness, I want to be really careful when I say this because it, it depends on the severity of an illness. It depends on kind of where you're at in your whole process. But for me, it did come to a point in the end where I made a choice that I'm ready to be done with this. And and then I started really digging in to do the work. I think up until that point, I just wasn't ready. And so any work, any rehab that I had done, any recovery programs and tons of counseling and all of that stuff, it didn't work because I wasn't at that place where I was ready for that. Um, But at this point, I had essentially hit rock bottom. I'd been in and out of treatment for years. Um, I'd been on and off antidepressants. My health was all over the place. And I was kind of just turning to anything and everything I could to find anything that would offer some sense of hope that would numb my pain. And it was from this kind of place of just uh, like total disaster that I remember crying out to God and saying something like, God, if you ever want to change things in my life, like if you want this to turn around, then you are going to have to send someone who can talk some sense into me and do something about this yourself because otherwise there's just no hope for me. It was kind of a moment of surrender, but from a place where like I wasn't following God at all at that point, but God is so good and so gracious and so kind. And he answered that prayer. And a month or two later, I I took part in a conversation that really changed my perspective and ultimately changed my life. A friend sat down Mm -hmm. with me and listened to me talk about kind of the mess I had made in my life, challenged me to make a fresh start. And that's what I did. So the very next morning, I took a trip to the grocery store. I made some changes in my life. I started kind of eating with a purpose. Mm -hmm. I would choose to sit through the discomfort of that feeling of food inside my body because I just knew that it was time for things to change. And not only that, but I started to read my Bible. Um, Every time I sat down to eat, this friend had challenged Mm -hmm. me that you don't deal with the lies in your life just by kind of trying to remove them from your life. Mm -hmm. You actually have to displace them with truth. Yeah, there has to be some truth that will replace those lies. And so every time I sat down to eat, I would open up my Bible and pour truth into my heart. I hadn't read my Bible in years, really. And so that's really what overcoming has looked like for me. It's been a process of identifying those lies that I believe and then pursuing the radical truth that has the power to displace those lies 
from my life. And yeah, it's hard for me to believe when I look back, but over the course of the next few months in this process, God ultimately like just completely healed me from this years long battle with yeah. binge purge type anorexia. And, and yeah, like I said, I've been battling it for years. I'd been in and out of treatment, nothing worked. And then God kind of just brought this really incredible season of healing into my life. As far as the depression, we spent a few years after that working through the depression and mm-hmm. and the ins and outs and the ups and downs of that. Um, and beyond that, even a few more years uh, working through the severe anxiety. It's been a gradual process. It's had ups and downs. And to some extent, I'm still in that process. You know, we're never like I, I'm really aware of where my triggers are and those kinds of things. Um, but I've grown to really know myself and to know my tendencies. So I would say that right now in this stage of my life, I'm more engaged in the process in kind of a prevention sort of a way. Like I said, I know my warning signs uh, and I've learned a lot of great tools that help me navigate when things are really bad. Full disclosure, earlier this spring, I had a panic attack. It had been a long Mm -hmm. time since I'd experienced that level of anxiety like it kind of came out of nowhere, but I I had the tools to deal with it this time. And and I was able to bounce back a lot more quickly because of all the work that I've done around healing and recovery and the pursuit of joy. Wow. Wow. That's awesome. It sounds like just the intentionality would be so huge in that situation, right? Where you have to know what tools are in your tool bag. Absolutely. I love that. Okay. So I know this is kind of taking a little bit of a step back, but I want to make sure that when we're talking about this, that we really are on the same page and that we have a definition to work from. So I was wondering, can you give us a working definition or a broad definition of mental health? And I know that's, that is a very broad, (laughs) that's a very broad field, but we want to make sure. sure that we're on the same page. Yeah. I mean, again, I'm not a professional. I mean, mental health would commonly be understood to include sort of our, our emotional, our, our psychological, social, and I would add our spiritual sense of well-being. Like you said, someone who's in a poor state of mental health might suffer from a wide range of illnesses from you know conditions that I shared about in terms of my personal struggle, eating disorder, depression, anxiety, OCD, um, and then all the way through to some more severe illnesses schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, you know, PTSD, all these things are involved. So there's a a huge bank of what could be involved in mental illness. But I think it's important to note that mental illness is more than a diagnosis. So a person or in mental health is more than a diagnosis. So a person might have been might not have been diagnosed with an eating disorder, but they still might struggle with disordered, unhealthy eating habits and and mental perspectives, right? A person might not have been Mm -hmm. diagnosed with chronic depression, but still exhibit a variety of symptoms that point to a suffering state of mental health. So um, I think that's important to recognize. And I guess put as simply as I can, I would tend to say that your mental health is the state of your soul. How healthy is your soul? Uh, there's a great book called Soul Keeping by John Ortberg that I love that talks about the state of our souls. And it's really shaped a lot of the way that I look at my mental, spiritual, emotional health and highly recommend the read. But yeah, that's kind of my simplified way of looking at it is just how healthy is your soul? Mm-hmm. And sometimes it takes some digging to get to a real answer on that question. Mm-hmm. But I think it's important that we ask ourselves that question and be reflecting on it and evaluating it regularly in our lives. 
Yeah. And I like that you worded it like that. And I feel like sometimes we don't really understand or know that we have to actually tend to our soul. Yes. That 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 is actually part of the work of being a human is that we have to tend to that part of ourselves, right? Yeah, absolutely. All right. So this topic, it feels like it's just kind of entering the church in some ways. Um, some churches have embraced it a little, little earlier than others, but it's been a little bit difficult for us to talk about the church. And I was wondering if you could maybe enlighten us. Why has it been so difficult for churches to start talking about mental health that affects so many of its people? Yeah, I mean, you're right. To be fair, I think there are some churches that have been on the front lines of the conversation, and that's awesome. I don't, I don't want to overlook that. Yeah. But at the same time, um, you're right. The majority of churches are probably a little bit behind on this issue, and I feel like it's hard to pinpoint exactly why that is. And it can also be hard to talk about without sounding like you're just ragging on the church. And so maybe for before I say anything else, I should just say up front that I'm a huge fan of the church. This mm-hmm. is the institution through which Jesus chose to spread the gospel message to the world. And not only that, but it's the bride that he's coming yeah. back for. So Jesus loves the church. I love the church. And so anything I say here is not intended to be a harsh criticism or judgment, but I actually see it as kind of more self-reflective because I am the church. We are the church, right? And just like we need to be willing to evaluate sort of ourselves personally in order to like experience growth. I think as the church, we need to be willing to do that locally and globally and recognize sort of where we need to, you know, where we're coming up short. And so this does kind of seem (laughs) to be one of those areas. When I think about why I could probably go on and on for a long time, which might not be helpful because I'm certainly (laughs) not the superlative voice on this topic. Um, But I think at the end of the day, for me, I would point it back to two issues and that would be fear and pride. Um, Mm. I was chatting with a friend of mine recently and he brought up the fact that the church is really good at operating in black and white spaces, not so good sometimes at navigating the gray area. And mental illness by nature is a lot more gray than some physical illnesses mm-hmm. tend to be. You know, with with a lot of physical illness, it's fairly black and white. You go, you go to a doctor, you go to a specialist, and you follow their recommended treatment plan. Now, as long as you believe in traditional medicine, you really can't argue with that from a biblical perspective. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to something like anxiety or depression, it's less clear because the Bible says things like, do not be anxious for anything. Do not fear. Cast your anxieties upon God and, and all of those, those kinds of things. And so when we struggle with these things and find ourselves in these gray spaces, it can start to beg a lot of questions. Mm-hmm. And, and the church hasn't really seemed to know what to do with those. Like, can you really be a Christian if you are extremely depressed or you can't seem to trust God enough to stop your anxiety? Or Questions like, could a person who committed suicide go to heaven? These are uncomfortable questions that I think the church has been afraid to take a stance on. And honestly, I think these questions are just focused on the wrong things. Mm. Um, It's never been our job as believers to determine who is or isn't a Christian or who is or isn't in heaven or hell. Our job as believers is to be Jesus to people. And to be willing to step into the mess with people, to love them through what they're going through. And Jesus, I mean, he did that instinctively and beautifully. And he asks us to follow in his footsteps in that way. And sadly, I think that too often the church in general is too fearful to go there because Mm -hmm. it's messy and mess is scary, 
right? So there's that fear piece. And then there's pride. As Christians, maybe perhaps especially as Christian leaders, we don't want to admit that there's anything wrong with us. Uh, we, we want to be perceived as spiritually, mentally, emotionally healthy, mm-hmm. but um, the mental health statistics from inside the church really don't seem to be much different from those outside of the church. According to the World Health Organization, one in four people in the world will be affected by a mental or neurological disorder at some point in their lives. So that's like roughly 25%. Now, LifeWay Research also did a study which showed that 23% of pastors indicated that they had personally suffered from mental illness at some point in their lives. So the statistics are telling the same story inside and outside the church. There's absolutely no evidence to suggest that Christians are immune to the mental health crisis happening in our world. And yet it seems like we'd like to make everyone, including each other, believe that we are immune. We don't want to invite people into our brokenness and therefore We don't create truly safe spaces for other people to process their own brokenness within the walls of the church. And I mean, that's what Satan wants, right? Like he wants us to suffer under the weight of our own secrets. And so I think pride is a really huge tactic that he has used to keep this issue kind of on the taboo list for a little bit too long. (laughs) Oh, I love that response. And I think that, yeah, fear and pride, I mean, that covers a lot of ground on what we need to root out. Mm. what we need to kind of just embrace full on instead of trying to run away from, mm-hmm. which is where I see a lot of that. And I think, I think you had that spot on. All right. So because we want to love people better within the church who are struggling, how can the church do better? Like what is maybe some of the language that we could be using or accommodations that we could make? How could we make it more inclusive environment for people that are struggling? Yeah. Great question. Honestly, When I think of my own experience and also the experience that I've heard from other people, this isn't just me. I think one of the most important things that I think we need to do is that we need to know God's word and we need to wield it well. And Mm -hmm. then simultaneously, and just as importantly, we need to know God's heart and reflect it well. Mm -hmm. Because knowing God's word without being able to reflect his heart can cause a lot of damage. And like, I can't tell you how many times I've been hurt. I've been devastated by Mm. well-meaning believers who have quoted scripture to me that is kind of upsettingly specific Mm. (laughs) with sort of what seemed like very little compassion for where I was really coming from or the ins and outs of my daily struggle. And I know I'm not alone in that. Yes, God's word says things like rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. It Mm -hmm. says things like, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. It says these things. Mm -hmm. And most of us already know these scriptures, especially if we're struggling with these things. But the problem is that because we're already struggling to reconcile them with our lives, and then when they're thrown at us kind of haphazardly, when we're in that bottomless pit of depression or, you know, on the road to a panic attack, they just kind of seem to shine this blinding light on our failure and they Mm. can do more damage than good if they're not wielded well in those moments. And that's why I say it's important for us to reflect God's heart at the same time as we share his word, because God's heart for us is not condemnation. It's not guilt. It's not a heavy burden of shame. 
And I know that's not anyone's intent. Well, I hope that's not anyone's intention when sharing God's word with us. But sometimes that's what the feeling can become. But God's heart for us is healing. It's love. You know, he wants to comfort us and sit with us in our pain. He wants to walk through the valley of the shadow of death with us and offer us unconditional love in our doubting. It's to welcome us home as his lost child after our rogue wanderings. And so I think the church could do a better job of addressing these issues and the scriptures with sensitivity and with compassion yeah. and and understanding. And don't get me wrong, okay? Like I I don't want it to sound like I don't believe in the infallibility of scripture. These verses that I've quoted, these yeah. are God's perfect word, and I believe that as a Christian, I have a responsibility to radically pursue these ideals in my life. That's yeah. my responsibility. Um, They are a part of God's big story, but they're also not the whole story. And we need to look at the entirety of scripture to gain a more complete understanding of God's instructions and his heart around this issue. Love it. Love all of that. And I completely agree. All right. So there's going to be somebody that's listening that is struggling right now. Mm -hmm. And so as we wrap up this part of the conversation, I would love if you could just speak to her and share, you know, what is one thing that you would want to say to someone, to one of our sisters who is struggling? Yeah. First of all, I would say that you're not alone. Sometimes it can feel so isolating to be in that place because there are so many feelings of guilt associated with mental health struggles as a Christian, just like we were just talking about, mm-hmm. because we know what the Bible says, and yet we can't seem to live it. And so these struggles can become super heavy for believers and we can start to feel like there's something wrong with us. Like we're terrible Christians. We're the only ones feeling this way. So I would just say, listen, sister, you are not alone. You are in good company. You only have to look as far as the Psalms to recognize that. I mean, Mm -hmm. many scholars believe that King David himself suffered deep depression. And this was a man after God's own heart. Your mental illness doesn't make you a bad Christian. Your mental illness doesn't make you a failure. Your mental illness doesn't mean that Jesus is mad at you. I want you to know that he sees you. He cares for you. In fact, that's the other half of of one of the verses I was quoting earlier, which I don't know if we really consider most of the time. First Peter 5, 7 says that we should cast our anxiety on him because he cares for you. It doesn't say cast your anxiety on him because if you don't, he'll disown you or he'll be mm. mad at you. Just cast your anxiety on him because he cares for you. And then the second thing I would say is this. I would say, don't forget who he is. When the Bible says that we can cast our anxiety upon him because he cares for us. Well, we need to remember why that matters. I think it doesn't matter anything because of what's making us anxious or the fact that just anybody cares. It means something because of who he is Mm -hmm. in that statement. Cast your cares upon him. Well, who is he? Jehovah Rapha, the Lord that heals. Jehovah Shammah, the Lord is there. Emmanuel, God with us. Mm -hmm. Psalm 46.1, it says that God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. And this is who God is. And this is who he will be for us when we are in the midst of a great battle with mental illness. So don't lose hope. There is hope. And his name is Jesus. Mm, Beautiful. That'll be such an encouragement to somebody. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Right. So your book is about biblical joy. And you said that it's a spiritual discipline. And I would love if you could expand and explain that. 
Yeah, well, I think that the idea there is that disciplines take work and effort, mm -hmm. right? And ultimately, they produce growth in our lives as we go through that work and effort. And I would put joy in this category, especially when you talk about joy and suffering, which is an extremely biblical concept. Um, in my book, I talk about how joy and suffering is not a natural thing to choose. <laughs> it, it has to be chosen. And um, choice by nature requires discipline, you know, because mm -hmm. a lot of times the right decision is the harder decision. And it takes a lot of discipline to make wise choices when there are easier options out there. And David, who I mentioned earlier, is a, is a Bible character who I think modeled this really well. If you read his Psalms, you can often see this pattern where he starts by just pouring out these, these intense emotions to God, often from a place of deep suffering and distress. But then he comes around by the end to this place of resolved praise and trust and rejoicing even in mm -hmm. God's salvation. So Psalm 13, 5, great example. He says, but I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. And if you read the rest of the Psalm, it's like, it's clear that David did not feel joy in this mm -hmm. moment. Like he did not feel like rejoicing at all. And yet he chose to rejoice. He chose joy and, and mm -hmm. chose the discipline of joy and resolved that he would pursue it against his feelings. And to me, that's the importance of a spiritual discipline. Like we're not always going to feel like sitting down and reading our Bibles or praying, but hopefully we get to a place in our Christian walk where we understand the value of these disciplines for our faith journeys. And we do it anyway, even when we don't feel like it. And so recognizing that and, and doing something about that is ultimately what will produce a lot of growth that we need in our lives. And I think it's the same with biblical joy. Love it. Love it. So then how do we actually walk that out? What are some of the steps for the more practical ways that we can encounter joy as a discipline? Well, if I answer that, I'm going to give away my whole book. <laughs> no, <laughs> I mean, it's all in the Bible anyway. So I, mm -hmm. I don't think there's a real formula, but uh, I definitely think there are some key ingredients. First of all, we've talked a little bit about this in terms of my recovery journey. I think it just all starts with some really intentional choices and a mm -hmm. lot of discipline. Um, when I started this journey for myself over a year ago to pursuing biblical joy, I started to journal on a Bible verse or a Bible passage every single day about joy. And then once I had journaled on it, I would kind of come up for myself with a like an application step that I could take that day just to literally practice the discipline of joy. And then at the end of the day, I took a few minutes to reflect on three questions. I asked myself, did I choose joy today? What made choosing joy a challenge today? And then what did I learn today? And for me, I found that just setting aside this little bit of time to cultivate joy in my life, even just to think about joy, like where and when is it showing up in my life? Where and when is it not showing up in my life? And actually intentionally thinking through those things really made a big difference. So intentionality, self-awareness, self-reflection, those are key. From there, I, th I think there's a really great progression that I'd love to take you through in depth in my book. Mm -hmm. So in the book, we begin sort of with the genesis or where does this journey of radical joy begin for us? Um, next, we look at the goal. So what's our aim as we're navigating what I'm calling in the book the mountain of life. What is our goal and, mm -hmm. and why is that important? And then we look at the guarantee. So knowing how the end of the story as believers can bring security in the here and now and enable joy right now. 
Yeah. We talk about the guide. So who is it that's leading us up this mountain? Um, we talk about the gear. So equipment that we need to generate joy along the journey, the guts, how do we cultivate courage throughout the climb? Um, the grit, how choosing joy and suffering actually produces perseverance in us. Mm-hmm. And then finally, we talk about the glory. So that's where we explore sort of the everlasting joy that we'll find in the presence of God. Now, of course, I don't have time to go into all those <laughs> in detail, but um, if you're interested, I think you'll really benefit from reading the book and discovering more about how that whole progression can impact your life. I love it. Well, we'll definitely put all the links in the show notes for people to find that so we can go even more in depth there. I love it. Perfect. All right. So one of the big aims of the podcast is that we really want to encourage women to walk out their calling as a kingdom builder. And how would we use biblical joy to build God's kingdom? Great question. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, honestly, I think if we start to get this, like if we can not only grasp what biblical joy is all about and kind of its implications for us as individuals, but if we also can start to live it out in our lives, then kingdom building is going to become a natural byproduct. I'll tell you why I think so. So if you take a look at Romans 5 verses 3 and 4, you're going to find this critical link between joy and suffering that I think revolutionizes the way we live out our mission and calling. So it says, but we rejoice in our suffering, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. Now, if we want to be kingdom builders, we want to be actively engaged in with what Jesus is doing and his gospel mission, what are we going to need? We're going to need endurance because ministry is exhausting, it's mm-hmm. draining, it's full of setbacks, but endurance will keep us going when everything in us says no and our feet don't want to take another step. And we're going to need character. Because kingdom builders must reflect the character of Jesus. And so, you know, we're naturally all in progress. We never reach perfection on this side of heaven. But to be effective in building God's kingdom, we must at least be in a process of sanctification or being made more like Jesus. And then we're going to need hope. Because like, you know, I say in the book, hope is what we cling to when our circumstances betray us. And Mm -hmm. hope always believes that something better is coming. So when hardships come, because they will come, hope can look at the circumstances and say, good is still going to come of this yet. And, you know, where are we in life without hope? Where are we in life without any of these three elements? So I think what I'm trying to say here is that Romans 5 kind of points us to our ability to choose joy in the midst of suffering and says, this is, what, this is actually the catalyst at the center of this progression. It's when we rejoice in our suffering Mm. Like suffering is a thing we're not going to avoid in this life. Yeah. It's when we're doing that, we're rejoicing in our suffering that we're going to start to see these qualities develop in us. And I think that's why joy is so foundational to everything we do as believers. Our faith is founded on the most joyous news known to man. Mm. And when we are, when we're not functioning in joy as Christians, we're immediately at a disadvantage because it thwarts our ability to grow in endurance and character and hope. And of course, I'm not saying like it stops it completely because you can probably argue that suffering in and of itself can produce endurance, but it can also produce bitterness. It can produce anger. It can poison us from the inside out. And so when you add joy to suffering, I think the growth it has the potential to produce is like exponentially greater. So I think that as kingdom builders, 
joy is core to our mission and purpose because it is core to enabling us to live out that mission and purpose. Wow. My mind is being blown. I'm going to have to really think about that. (laughs) (laughs) That's so good. Yeah, because you're right. It's a lot about how we how we deal as humans, as people, how we deal with suffering that kind of determines a lot of our path. Yes. Whether we're going to, yeah, go towards that hope and victory and character development, all that sort of stuff, or if there's going to be kind of a darker road ahead of us. So I'm yeah. definitely going to have to ponder on that. That's Yeah. And, really and don't get me wrong. There is nothing easy about it. <laughs> there's no, nothing yeah. comfortable about it. But mm-hmm. I just think, man, like God has really created this well-oiled machine that creates such intense and and beautiful growth in us when we're willing to take that really brave step of choosing joy even when life is hard. That's so good. That is so, so good. Okay. Well, I'm excited for people to get their hands on your book. I can just see there's going to be so much more wisdom in there for us to to get at. And so I just thank you so much for sharing about it and Mm -hmm. um, for all the work that you're doing, Talisi. I just, uh, I really appreciate it. Um, Before we conclude, though, I have a few kind of wrap-up questions that I'd love to get to that we're going to ask every guest. And one of them is, what is a resource that you have found particularly helpful as you've navigated the topic of biblical joy? Yeah, thinking about that question. I mean, this might sound cliche, but honestly, my primary resource has been the Bible. I just don't think there's any better place to learn about God's design for us than in His perfect word. And so I have spent a considerable amount of time just studying this specific topic in the Bible itself, just digging in, deep cross-referencing scripture, journaling for hours on end. Mm -hmm. Um, And then from there, you know, supplementing with some online articles from trustworthy sources, of course, for various Mm -hmm. reference texts and concordances and so on. Um, just making sure that I'm not grossly misinterpreting anything. <laughs> That's a pretty simple answer, but honestly, there's not much more to it than that. I didn't do a ton of other reading on this particular subject. I just went to God's word and and dug in. I did mention earlier soul keeping. It doesn't really specifically talk about joy, but for me, it was just really helpful in the process of recognizing I have some work to do in this mm-hmm. area. Um, so of course I'm always going to recommend that cause I, I love the book, but, um, yeah, as far yeah. as biblical joy, I can't offer a whole lot else because I just mainly spent my time in scripture. Okay, perfect. So if we want to know about joy, we have to get your book and we have to get into our Bibles. That's what there you go. Yeah. That's what saying. <laughs> perfect. Okay. So what is a spiritual discipline or practice that you have found really life-giving lately? Well, there's no question that my life <laughs> makes a lot more sense when I prioritize daily time in God's word, especially when that time includes journaling for me, that's a really important Mm -hmm. life-giving practice for me. Um, Mm -hmm. I feel it when I don't do this. Writing has always been the best way that I process life. Everyone's different. And so um, journaling for me is probably one of the healthiest practices that I can include in my routine on a regular basis. Um, But another thing recently that has been very life-giving for me is, uh, and I've been able to do this more recently is just spending some time outside with God and kind of going for a little walk in nature to pray. Um, There's just something about being outside in God's creation while communing with him that I always find so meaningful. Just um, recently we moved and Mm -hmm. in some really awesome, miraculous way, God lined up an incredible situation for us where our, our new backyard backs onto 
a little lovely little pond with a walking path around it. And so Mm. lately I've been taking a bit of time just to get out there on my own for a few minutes and walk around the pond and talk to God about life. So that's been such a blessing. I find it so peaceful and Mm. serene and life-giving and joy-inducing. So um, I would say those couple of things. Love it. Perfect. Okay. So is there any other resources that you want to share with us or um, where, and where else can we find you online? Yeah. Well, of course there's the book Joy Like a Mountain just released on September 27th and expands on a lot of what we've talked about today. Um, But if you're looking for something quick and bite-sized, I would highly recommend my seven day joy challenge. Uh, It's exactly what it sounds like. It's a week long study uh, devotional plan focused on pursuing intentional biblical joy. So these little devotionals will show up in your inbox every morning and they're paired with a daily scripture passage and an application activity to help you sort of implement what you're learning. So I'd love to share that with you guys. Anyone can sign up for the challenge. It's completely free. You can do that by going to talisigera.com and clicking on the seven day joy challenge link in the menu and then signing up for the challenge. So uh, that's there for you guys. As far as finding me online, um, I've just mentioned my website, talisigera.com. You can also connect with me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, search for <laughs> at talisigera. I've got a very unique name. So I guarantee you'll find me as long as you've got it <laughs> spelled correctly. I think uh, we're going to link to that in the notes. So mm-hmm. you'll be able to <laughs> look me up. Um, but I'm on all of those platforms quite regularly. So um, I share lots about my faith journey, my mental health journey as well as my pursuit of biblical joy. So that's a great way to dive deeper with me on some of the topics that we've covered today. Love it. Awesome. Well, thank you so, so much for coming on Lab by 68. And just for everybody listening, we tried doing this last week and we just had so many technical issues, but you know what? God is faithful and I'm glad that we were able to do this again. It's been awesome. Yes, it's been wonderful. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you to Talisee for coming on the show. I just think her message is really clear that we need to intentionally dig into biblical joy because our spiritual and mental well-being, our communities and the kingdom are dependent on it. I also loved how she encourages us to be gracious with those who are suffering with mental health and to really take a deep reflective look at the pride that is in all of us. And especially we need to look at the pride within the church pride divides. It just does. It causes division. And we want to be more and more unified, especially when it comes to being inclusive of people that are struggling with their mental health. There's so much good wisdom, and I'm so thankful that we could bring another Canadian onto the show. Make sure that you grab a copy of Talisee's book for yourself and a friend. Christmas is coming. Let's stock up on these books, support these authors, especially first-time authors, guys. This is just so important. So grab a copy of her book, Joy Like a Mountain, Unleash the Power of Biblical Joy on the Journey of Life through the link in today's show notes. And also know, guys, you can find links for all of the resources that people are sharing on the show through the show notes. It's all available there. And if you actually, if you purchase through that link, we do get a little bit of a percentage of that and it would just help the show out so much. So it's a win-win. You're helping two people at once. All right. This week's Lab by 68 challenge is to bring joy to someone else this week. Pretty simple. How can you bring joy to the people around you? Maybe through a simple act of kindness, a note, or some handmade goodies. You could even bless your pastor, bring joy to your pastor. Tell us you mentioned that our pastors are definitely not immune to struggling with mental health, um, especially during these really challenging times. 
So take the opportunity to encourage them and to point them back to Jesus. Next week, we are going to hear from Patricia Sung. She is a community builder, a podcast host that deals with ADHD and motherhood. She gives us such a vulnerable look into her life, what it's like to mother, to be a person who struggles with ADHD. And she has some really great things to say about vulnerability and how Jesus loves us so much and that he actually seeks out the outcasts. So good. So subscribe to the podcast to make sure that you are notified when it goes live next Monday. Okay, everybody, have a wonderful week. And remember that you are a kingdom builder. Your light is meant to be reflected into dark places. And together, I just want to be praying. Here I am, Lord. Send me. Have a great week, everybody. 